0: Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Glenn. It's hard to believe that we're approaching the 100th episode of the Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. If we look at the roots of the podcast, it all started as a component of Adam's course. The podcast has certainly evolved since then, and when we all got stuck at home in March of 2020... The podcast became a way for us to connect and give our listeners a view into sports and sports business that had previously come from things like networking events that weren't available at the time. With those roots in Adam's course, it's always been our intention to have student involvement in the podcast and continue to grow that student involvement. That involvement comes both behind the scenes and on the microphone, and we're excited to bring new voices to the podcast this season. The first of those new voices you'll hear today when Austin Siegel, our producer, has a conversation with Emily Eman. In her current role, Emily works for the Big Ten Network as the primary game and studio volleyball analyst, a sideline reporter, and as the network's digital host where she's covered three NCAA Women's Indoor Volleyball Championships, two college football playoff semifinal games, the Women's College World Series, and much more. In addition to her work with the Big Ten Network, Emily also freelances for other outlets and organizations. In the spring of 2021, she spent eight weeks in Dallas working as a digital host for Athletes Unlimited Professional Volleyball League, covering the only pro women's volleyball league in the U.S. In the winter of 2022, Emily worked as a sideline reporter for the Valley on ESPN for Southern Illinois University men's basketball games. She's also a frequent contributor to VolleyballMag.com. Emily is a former volleyball player at Northwestern University, where she earned her degree from the Medill School of Journalism. Not only is it incredible uh, to have Emily on the podcast today, but it's also great to have Austin facilitate that discussion. So we hope you all enjoy Austin's interview with Emily Eman.
1: So much for joining us. Um, I'm really excited to kind of dive into some aspects of your career. First off, I guess just to kick it off, how clearly could you envision your, your job right now, your role at Big Ten Network when you had your, your cap and gown on at graduation?
2: Oh, my gosh. I mean, well, when I graduated, it was so interesting because so I graduated a quarter early and it was March of 2020. So knowing that I wanted to go into sports broadcasting, it was quite literally the worst possible time to do so. Um, So, you know, at that time, I mean, I I definitely couldn't imagine, you know, doing what I'm doing now. And um, I think just the The timeline, too, has been a lot quicker than I think I anticipated, but it's also a dream that I've had since I was about 10 years old. So it's definitely something I've envisioned since I was, you know, a a young girl. But I think the timeline was was definitely a lot quicker than I had really anticipated.
1: For sure. I think one of the, the interesting things about about the timeline, as you said, is obviously you were a student athlete at Northwestern. So when you were in high school and kind of thinking about what your college experience was going to look like, how did those, say, volleyball aspirations and sports journalism aspirations kind of coexist as you considered different schools?
2: Oh, they, they coexisted very strongly. I mean, when I started going through the recruiting process, I knew The only thing that I wanted was I didn't want to go too far from home. And the second thing was I really wanted a good journalism program. So I was very selective in my recruiting process, Um, really only looking at schools and talking to coaches and visiting schools that I knew had a great journalism program. So for me, that was Northwestern, Cornell, um, talked to Syracuse a little bit. And those were places that I knew had great journalism programs and what I thought would really set me up uh, to be doing what I wanted to do. So I was very selective in my in my recruiting process of which school to pick. But for me, a big factor was I've, I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana. So I grew up in a massive college town and, you know, sports are everything. And, you know, I grew up around the IU basketball program, especially um, specifically just with some family ties. And when I was about 10 years old, I realized that, you know, I could be around sports, but not have to really – play or even coach them to still, you know, make it a job and make a living out of it. And that was something I I really heavily weighed when picking a college was what would set me up best to do what I want to do. And Northwestern was always a dream school. My family's from around here. So I grew up going to Chicago all the time. And Northwestern was always um, that place that felt really special to me. And I remember taking my first visit And stepping on campus and it just felt different. Like I felt like I was supposed to be there and, um, you know, they wanted to walk on the Barrow and I was like, where do I sign? I was, I was sold right away.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you hit on something that I think is really central to the, the Masters of Sports Administration program here at Northwestern, which is that there are so many roles in sports. I think a lot of students come in and their goals are, you know, be a GM, be an athletic director, or be an agent. But I think your role as a, a digital host is one that probably wasn't even around five years ago. So was that something that you applied for at Big Ten Network, or was it more of a job that you kind of conceptualized yourself?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So in during college, I actually interned at Big Ten Network in what was then it was called the new media department because social media was so new at the time. Like they didn't have really any concept of like what kind of content to put out and really what to do. And during my time in college, it was at a time where social media was also exploding. So you had all these networks and teams organizations starting up their social media presence and trying to figure out what that even means and what kind of content to put out so the digital host role i mean that didn't exist until about a year or so ago and kind of through my time with big 10 network i originally was on with them um, to do commentating for volleyball, and at the time when I was having talks with them about that, which was later in the year in 2020, I had also just accepted a position to cover athletes unlimited, which is a professional sports league for women. They have uh, volleyball, softball, lacrosse, and basketball, and they kind of took a chance on me having zero experience to be their digital host. Do you know pre post game interviews with players? Um, you know weekly recaps. I hosted a show having no experience at all. So that was something that I really dove into in a role that I didn't even know existed. Um, That was the first time I had really heard of the term digital host. I had no idea what it was. So I did that in the winter of 2021. I spent eight weeks in a bubble in Dallas. And then from then on, um, I actually pitched myself to Big Ten Network through content or um, contacts that I had made during my internship there during college. And I said, Hey, I've been doing this stuff for athletes unlimited on the digital front. I don't know if you're looking to do anything like that at all in the future. I would love to cover the, what was supposed to be the 2020 NCAA tournament for volleyball. They got pushed to the spring of 2021. So I kind of pitched myself. Ironically, they were looking for a digital host at the time, um, but they weren't looking too hard. Like they had kind of reached out to a few people, but uh, they said, all right, this could be a good test. You can go there, you know, do your thing, do, you know, game recaps, previews, interviews with players. And if it goes well, well, we'll bring you on and ended up going well. And again, yeah, I mean, to your question, no, it was that was not a role that I even knew existed five years ago in college. I mean, social media was just really exploding at the time. And that was a time when networks and, you know, companies and teams were just figuring out what the heck to do with their, you know, Twitter, Instagram handle.
1: Definitely. And I don't want this to sound like a criticism of journalism school, because as like if Charles Whitaker walked in here right now, i would so <laughs> starstruck. But it's definitely an issue, I think, sometimes when the, the industry is moving faster than a, a four year undergraduate program can keep up. Yeah. It's, I think one of those things where you have to teach yourself a lot of things along the way. So I'm curious in your journey, what were some things that you kind of had to just figure out yourself and kind of learn as you went along?
2: Oh gosh, there are so many things. I mean, just in terms of my path. I mean, graduating in March of twenty twenty, the sports didn't exist. You know, they were essentially canceled at that time. So, I ended up starting a web show just on my own on social media. It was a um, web show I had. I would interview coaches, players, or like alumni around Big Ten volleyball, and that was something that I, I learned early on was you know, these opportunities might not exist, but I can also make my own. And the fact that social media was a great outlet for that, you know, I was able to use the skills that I had editing, um, use the very few skills I had in front of a camera at first to really just dive into a world that I knew nothing about. I had no idea what I was doing, but it just, takes, you know, some courage and a little bit of hard work to, you know, start up something and eventually, you know, parlay that on to something else, which kind of, you know, shot me into into the career that I had. But that was definitely something that, you know, back to your point, I agree. I think the industry in a way is moving so much to social media. And I definitely recognize that after graduation in terms of, okay, for me specifically, there was nobody that was covering volleyball at all from a digital standpoint, and I could definitely fill that niche because one, I understand volleyball like the back of my hand, and two, um, you know, I want more reps in this, so it's a good way to just get practice. If it doesn't go anywhere, who cares? At least I'm getting you know stuff for a reel or whatever that may be. Um, but I definitely learned that early on, where social media is a way that you can make your own opportunities. You don't have to be tied to a network or a team or a company to do so. You can really just post videos on your own. And if no one sees them, great, whatever. You're getting reps doing whatever you're doing. But if people do see them, it can be career changing.
1: Definitely. I think it's a great point. Um, I know one of the aspects of your job that I'm sure must be challenging, and I'm going to ask it anyway: is what a typical day might look like, because I'm sure <laughs> weeks a week, it's it's changing. Does your role have any sort of rhythm to it that you can kind of get comfortable in? How do you sort of balance that?
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I think one thing that I've definitely realized in just being a sports broadcaster is a lot of it is freelance work. And you know your schedule is changing depending on what specific day it is, what week it is, but also what the time of year it is. So for me, really the only steady thing in all of that I do is being a digital host. So I have, I'm technically supposed to work about 10 to 15 hours a week and that might look different week to week. That could be covering a specific event on the weekend where I'm there all day. Or that could be coming up with you know, two to three pieces of content a week and going in the studio and recording them. So that's really the only consistent piece. During the fall, it gets a little bit crazier because I'm on the road so much um, to commentate volleyball games. So a lot of what I do is trying to you know, integrate both of those things. So there's digital content that I can do while I'm on the road um, that honestly sometimes does a lot better than the stuff that I'm doing in the studio. Um, but I try to balance it with, you know, going in and recording, for example, every um, Tuesday during the season, I go in and record. We had a segment with our football talent um, with Joshua Perry and Jake, Butt. we do like a football breakdown each week. And then I would record a few pieces of volleyball content. And that was pretty consistent for the entire fall. Um, now we're getting into a season where, you know, volleyball's not happening. So now I'm covering other sports. So that might be going in every Tuesday and, and covering a, Um, You know, doing a piece of basketball content with one of our men's or women's basketball talent um, or making a TikTok about something funny that happened or or things like that. But it it does change week to week. Depends on the time of year that it is. Um, But all I know is that in the fall, I'm basically living out of a suitcase. And that is that is my busy season. So January, February are pretty down months for me. Um, I'm I'm excited to have a little bit of downtime. Um, It's definitely nice. And then stuff kind of ramps up and. March, April, and May when it's championship season in March with, uh, wrestling for us and then men's and women's basketball and then spring football starts up in April. So hopefully I'll have a few of those games as well. And then another championship season in May, um, when, you know, lacrosse is finishing up softball, baseball, and, and all those.
1: Yeah. It's definitely familiar to hear in college. I thought (laughs) you don't organize the year by months. You organize it by what sports and season.
2: Exactly. It's, it's seasonal.
1: Yeah. And especially in the fall, as you touched on when you're traveling a lot, like, I'm just curious, what are some of the things that you use maybe just to kind of ground yourself? What are the anchors in your life? Or if you're waking up in Champagne or Madison, you know, you're going to do this, you know, every day to keep yourself sane. Because I think in freelance work, especially, it, it can be tough to not know like, oh, yeah, I'm free for, you know, like uh, to go to meditate at 10 a.m. every day. Like, yeah. Do you have anything in your life that kind of fills that role for you?
2: You know, I I wish I could say I wake up and journal and meditate every morning. I'm sure I would be mentally a lot better if that were the case. But, you know, I think one really big focus for me, especially during season is just to get as much sleep as possible. And I know that sounds, you know, boring and easier said than done. But, you know, there's some days where I feel like I have to get uh, spot charts ready for the next day or write out pieces of content. But I always make sure that I'm getting enough sleep because if I'm not, I'm probably going to get it sick. My voice is going to sound pretty bad and then I'm not going to be ready for the next day. So, you know, that's honestly, for me, one of the biggest things is really focusing on getting enough sleep. And if that means limiting my screen time at night and just going to bed right away, or if that means, um, you know, telling someone that I maybe have to like push back a meeting the next day or, you know, a few days ahead of time, you know, not, not usually not before, but, you know, just really prioritizing, that in my life is so important i'm I'm not someone who can thrive on like four or five hours of sleep a day. I think I would be much better at my job if I could. Um, but no, I'm like I need at least eight hours a night otherwise i'm I'm going downhill really fast, so that's definitely one thing that I really try to prioritize, especially when I'm on the road because. In a way, when I'm traveling, a lot of times, you know, we get in the day before a game and the game doesn't happen until, you know, 7 or 8 p.m. So I have kind of all day. And so I make it a point to sleep in um, as late as I can, usually like 10 a.m. I'll usually go out for breakfast um, before a servant pass or, or anything like that. But, you know, that's one thing that I, I very much prioritize during the season, if and as much as I can.
1: Definitely. And I think on that same topic of like self-care, I know a big part of your role is, social media and i can imagine a, a challenge with that at least yeah. for me is that sometimes social media can start out as something i'm doing for work and then quickly dovetail and just like scrolling yeah. and pretty much wasting time so i'm curious oh, yeah. sort of are you able to police yourself or you know that you're you're on twitter or instagram to do work and and i'm just i can imagine it being tricky but my job isn't as social media intensive as yours is so how do you yeah. maintain that productive brimstone to social media
2: it's a good question because sometimes I'll say like, I'll talk to my roommates and I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm going to work right now. And then they'll see me like tweeting stuff. And they're like, you're tweeting, you're not working. And I'm like, no, but like, this is my job is is to tweet. And it's funny because I've, I've been trying to find that balance of, you know, using my social accounts for like personal and professional use. Like I go scroll through my Instagram and it's like, it's all work pictures. And to be fair, it's like, I feel like that's all I've been doing for the last few months. But it's definitely difficult at times when, maybe some big news story comes out. And of course I'm refreshing Twitter left and right to get some updates. Um, But at the end of the day, I I think it's important for me to also recognize that like, that's a part of my job is to be in the know um, in whatever sport I'm covering um, to know the most about it. And a lot of that news comes from social media. I mean, it is the most up-to-date, you know, platform that you can get news from. It'll tell you stuff right away. You can learn a lot about maybe an an interview subject or a team or specific player's, from social media. So yes, while it is difficult to kind of find that balance, I I think it's in a way it's it's really important for me to be on those platforms. I don't want to say like consistently all day, but like definitely updating and and checking them. But I will say I, I am still trying to find that balance of, okay, personal and professional use on those platforms for sure.
1: Yeah. I think zooming out a little bit, kind of looking at the bigger picture, I mean, one of the cool things about your career is it seems like that your role and the sport of volleyball are really growing at the exact same time. You're on this kind of parallel track. And so I think a moment that must've been really interesting was attending the first ever big 10 volleyball media days. I was just curious what that was like for you to kind of see how far the sport had come just in the time that you had gone from being a student athlete to being a member of the media.
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, that event was an absolute dream. I also was lucky enough to really help behind the scenes to put it on. Um, I remember the initial meetings we were having for it in like February of last year. I, I met with Sue Marriott, our coordinating producer at big 10 network who's in charge of everything you see volleyball on TV. Um, and then Grace Bonoma, she is the, I'm going to mess up her title, but she's like the TV rep for the big 10. So she puts together all the schedules. Um, she's kind of in charge of those events and I remember we sat down and had lunch and just threw any possible idea we had on paper, you know, expecting most of it to get shut down. Um, But it was something that I know from speaking to them had been in the works for so many years. And I think COVID kind of threw a wrench in that just in terms of having everyone together. But it was such an incredible event. I mean, it was the first time in any conference that we had, you know, members and the coaches of all 14 teams come together for immediate days and for for that to be volleyball was just it was so cool I mean I think back to my time at Northwestern and to be fair we we were not a very good volleyball team then so it was a little bit different but you know we'd be lucky if one reporter wanted to talk to someone from our team and and now we're seeing you know beat writers for teams across the country and you know a way bigger national following and we're breaking viewership records and you know I mean in terms of social too we're, we're breaking those records and we're seeing different kind of volleyball shows pop up that is so exciting to me having played the sport it's such a big passion and, and drive of mine i mean there's two things i love doing and that's telling stories whether it's how a game's unfolding or the story of a certain athlete team or coach what have you and then the other part of it for me is really pushing volleyball forward so In that case, like I was able to do both of those. And that was one of the most fulfilling things to be a part of, you know, from start to finish and to see how it unfolded. And then, you know, while we're at media days, like I remember executives telling us they were getting calls from other conferences saying like, you know, how, how'd you do this? We want to do something like that. And that was so cool to hear that, it was being picked up by other people, and they wanted to be a part of it, and also wanted to replicate that for you know their conference. That was so cool, and and to kind of set the standard in that way. Um, it's something that I'm obviously very passionate about, and was something I was lucky enough to to be a part of.
1: Yeah, it seems like college volleyball just is having. All these moments, whether it's Big Ten Media Days or it's like the crowd at Wisconsin versus Florida, yeah. even just the success of a, a professional week like Athletes Unlimited mm-hmm. just keeps growing and growing. But I'm, I'm curious, where where do you think the most important investment takes place to keep college volleyball on the trajectory that it's on?
2: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it comes from TV. I think, you know, we can talk all we want about, um, you know, people talk about paying the players or whatever. I, I think at the end of the day, it's exposure. And whether that means getting more eyeballs on games, so promoting the games that you have, getting more games on TV. The number one thing that I would love to see that we see in a lot of other sports, specifically football and men's basketball, a little bit more of women's basketball now I would love to see more studio coverage and whether that's, um, you know, having volleyball highlights on something like a sports center, even at a lower scale, um, you know, on like big 10 today from, from the big 10 network. Like I would love to have a daily volleyball segment, you know, in the same way that we spend an hour talking about football every fall. I mean, that's something that I would love to see. And I think that also extends to the NCAA tournament. I think they made great strides this year. They being ESPN in terms of having a studio show for the first few rounds to they had like a whip around show where they were going from game to game they had a studio setup it was so cool it's the first time they ever did it it went so well um, but i'd like to see that happen more often and on a bigger scale and really promoting these games like i i think at big ten network they do a really good job promoting the games on on social media and during commercials during other games of hey this is a massive game we have coming up like you should be watching for these reasons. Um, but I would love to see more of that studio coverage and promotion just across the board. Because what we found is when you put it on TV and when you promote it, those numbers come in. I mean, we shattered viewership records this season. And it's not a coincidence. I mean, the amount of promotion and stuff that happens behind the scenes to really promote and grow this sport, I think, um, it has has shown.
1: Yeah. I think an analogy that I'm curious if you agree with, I know we're both biased being Northwestern and belongs, <laughs> but like the college world series for softball yeah, seemed like that was an event where ESPN, you know, has a studio yes. on site in the stadium. Do you think there are any lessons from how they promoted and marketed and ultimately televised that event that could work for volleyball?
2: Yeah. So this is, I went on a Twitter rant about this a few months ago, but If you think about the coverage that ESPN has done for the postseason for women's basketball and softball, it has been crazy for the last few seasons. But the reason that that is, is because those sports have a male equivalent that does better, that is revenue generating. So for women's basketball, you can point to men's basketball and say, hey, they have this March Madness branding. They have all this um, coverage and studio shows. Why don't we have that? And you can't you can't give an answer other than, you know, saying it's it's sexist well, other than doing it. So they've done that for women's basketball. Same thing for softball. They can point to baseball and say, hey, you're doing these for the College World Series. Why don't we have this? And they get it done. And that's why we're seeing this massive boom in women's basketball and softball getting put in prime time because they have that male equivalent to lean on. Where for volleyball, it is the only big sport that at some places is revenue generating that doesn't have a male equivalent that does better than it in that sense. Volleyball is the driving force. Men's volleyball, as great of a sport as it is, um, you know, I love watching and I love talking about it, but it doesn't have the same recognition, obviously, as a football or men's basketball. So volleyball, in a sense, is playing from behind and they don't have a template to follow. So yes, while, while we can point to you know, the women's basketball tournament and the women's college world series in a way, we have to make our own template and figure out what works for the sport, because we can take things from those postseason tournaments and kind of implement them. But we still have to figure out what works. Whereas for the college world series and for the men's basketball tournament, they've had decades to figure out what works and decades to drive those numbers. But we don't have that for volleyball. And I think they're still trying to figure that out. I do think they have good leadership in place that are trying new things and, and trying to make it work. But at the end of the day, volleyball is very unique in that we don't have that male equivalent to point to, to say, Hey, this is unfair.
1: Yeah. And I, I say this fully aware that, you know, a team like San Diego made a run to the final four this year and there were no big 10 teams in the final yeah. volleyball, but when the conference adds USC and UCLA and I think twenty twenty four, is that yeah. a moment that you think represent another step forward for Big Ten volleyball, especially, I guess the question buried in that is what's the attitude like inside Big Ten Network when you look at how the Big Ten is going to just keep separating itself as one of the premier volleyball conferences in the country?
2: Oh, man. I mean, I'm freaking pumped. If I get to go on a trip to L.A., like it's huge. It's it's not only that, but it's not like these are two random programs in the sport of volleyball. I mean, these are two of you know just a a dozen or so teams that have won a national championship there are not that many teams that have done so and for a team like usc and ucla to join a conference that is the best in women's college volleyball it only elevates the game um for for the conference and i mean the pac-12 is definitely close in that sense in terms of top to bottom competition um but, I mean, this just separates the Big Ten even more. It is already so tough to win any game. I mean, we saw more upsets this year than really ever before, some massive upsets that we didn't expect seeing. And you add these two incredible programs that are also really trending upward um, from where they have been over the last few seasons. To get them to join the conference um, is, I mean, it's so exciting for you know not only – me as someone that covers them but just for volleyball fans in general i mean it's going to be an all-out battle every single night in the big 10.
1: yeah i think one of the, the coolest things about your role moving forward is it just seems like you know in the fall you're on volleyball broadcasts and then you're at the festival creating content you know the entire week of the game so how do you sort of avoid in a larger sense being pigeonholed as you know oh like Emily's our volleyball reporter how do you sort of expand what not only you know you can do, but the people who who run Big Ten Network, you know, are comfortable letting you tackle.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think, you know, when getting this job, I definitely, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I, pigeonhole my, I pigeonholed myself, but I definitely was known as the volleyball girl. That was a brand that I um, kind of created for myself to really get a foot in the door. But I've found it very important to let everybody that I'm working for know that, any event they want me to cover, I'm there. Like, I'm such a yes, man. I will say yes to anything, even if I have absolutely no idea what the heck I'm doing. Um, I tell all my producers that I try to meet with, you know, those higher up people and say, you know, I, I know that I've been doing a lot of volleyball, but I would love to cover, cover other, other sports. Um, and it's it's kind of paid off. I mean, just letting them know that I'm available and willing to do whatever, travel wherever. I was lucky enough to do a few spring football games last season on the sidelines. They then had me cover uh, the 2022 men's lacrosse championships, which was so cool, um, covered the women's college world series. um, For studio, like actually reporting, not, not just, you know, doing some digital stuff with fans, but I, I definitely make it a priority to let the people in charge know that I'm not just a volleyball person. I can do whatever you want me to cover. I might be a little bit um, hindered in the fall in terms of scheduling, but for the rest of the year, like you want to send me somewhere, I will learn it and I'll, I'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the, the lessons too in in your story, just as it might relate to graduate students in the sports administration program at Northwestern, is is how often you know you weren't just applying to jobs; you were pitching roles and kind of pitching what you could bring uh, to a company or a network. And I think that's just such a a common thread across, you know sports in general. I know Lauren Withrow, who's the team reporter for Northwestern football, like was telling me how she pitched a role as a sideline reporter for the Ireland game and that turned into yeah. a team. So it just seems like that's a really important part of your story. And I was curious how I maybe mean, take me inside that process of pitching a job where you just emailing, cold calling, what's kind of the the best way to go about that for some
2: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I I wouldn't have any role that I have right now if I didn't do that. I always think of it as the fact that, okay, I'm first, I'm going to find, you know, whoever the head is, and I'm going to find a few more people in that company. And I'm going to say, this is where I think that you maybe could use something. And this is why I'm good at that something. Um, It's happened a few times in my career. So, you know, I pitched early on after I made this web show after graduating, I pitched it to a publication called volleyballmag.com. And at the time they didn't really have any social media presence and not even that, but they didn't have a lot of women that were doing um, a lot of writing for them, which was mainly the case. And so, you know, I, I ended up emailing their president and, and top editor. And I said, hi, this is what I'm in, blah, blah, blah. This is what I've been doing. And I think that you could really up your social media presence. And this is how I can do that for you. And this is what I've done in the past to do it. Um, done that many times. It was the same thing with uh big 10 network. I just emailed them what I had been doing, put a reel together from athletes unlimited and said, Hey, you don't have much of a social media presence um, with a tournament coming up. I would love to cover it for you. And I think that it would, you know, do really well in terms of viewership. And this is, this is why I've, I'm good at it. This is what I've been doing. This is what I can provide you. Um So I think it's not only, you know, pitching your ideas, but really what you can add to whatever organization it is, whether that's a team or a network or whatever, but explaining why you're the specific person to do that. Like I have a lot of knowledge in volleyball and I've, you know, gained these skills in front of a camera to be good at it. Um, But it is, it is so important. And, and I say this all the time, but when you're pitching an idea, whether it's, you know, a job idea, story idea, whatever, the worst that someone can say is no. And then in that case, you're back where you started anyway, who cares? But they not only know who you are, they know what you're interested in, they have some background on you. So maybe in the future, if something comes up, you know, they might be thinking of you first or they might have a role come up that maybe you're better suited for. And again, the worst, someone, the worst thing someone can say is no, you're back where you started anyway, who cares?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I think just kind of to... To start wrapping up, I mean it's always very gratifying to me when somebody like Harry Styles pursues an acting career because it reminds me that nobody on earth really feels like they've made it or they, they've they've yeah. arrived. So, are you in a role right now where you you feel like you're just ready to kind of take this as far as you can go, or is there a, a larger dream job out there that you're still kind of chasing?
2: You know, I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's interesting because. I I think this might be the athlete in me, but, you know, I always have goals. I'm always thinking about the next thing, um, even while I'm doing what I'm currently doing. And I think especially this year, I'm not a big like New Year's resolution kind of girl, but I've been thinking about it a lot. And I really want to be present in what I'm doing and really take in like, this is very cool what I'm doing now. You don't always have to be thinking, you know, five, 10 years ahead. You don't always have to be thinking about the next thing you're going to do and being present. Um, in terms of all of that though, of course, I'm still thinking about it all the time. And I think for me, I, I'm at, I'm in a spot where it's funny. Cause I I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing, but I also, I don't know, um, the next step, I guess, like I have, I have dream games that I want to cover. So for example, I want to call a national championship volleyball game. That's a goal that I've had for about the last year or so that I I really want to hit in the next, I would say, five years. Um, So I have like kind of dream opportunities that I want to do, but I'm kind of still figuring out what I like to do best. And for me, what I've, what I've realized is that's being a volleyball analyst. And I, I'm trying to find new avenues to do that, that aren't just a college game. So, you know, I'm looking at pro volleyball, uh, potentially covering something like VNLs this upcoming summer, which is basically like the world cup but it happens every year for volleyball um so things like that potentially covering an olympics like those dream opportunities i think are things that i'm thinking about more so than you know a dream job like i want to be a sports center anchor or analyst whatever it is um because i think to me those opportunities and those events drive me more than necessarily a dream job because then once you're sitting at the desk doing that then it's like, okay, are you content? Are you still going to want to do things? So for me, I've been trying to really think about those big opportunities and events that I want to cover rather than thinking, okay, I want to be in this specific role for the next 30 years.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And if people want to keep up with you, where can they find you and follow you?
2: Yeah, follow me, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Emily Eman, that's E-M-I-L-Y-E-H-M-A-N if you go to big 10 network, you'll see my face everywhere. So sorry for that, but, um, yeah, find me, find me on there. Um, if anyone has any questions, please shoot me a DM. I'm, I'm pretty good at responding to those. Um, so yeah, hit me up.
1: Emily, I really appreciate it. Thank you again for your time.
2: Thank you.